And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at the University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamiyam Robin, joined this evening by Stephen Brown. And finally, it's been like a year. I don't know. It's been a minute since <laughs> we've talked like to Jack Shields. It's been like a quarter of a year, like, or, or a third of a year. It's been a lot. You know, Jack's you're transitioning to a new job. You get getting a wife, you know, getting wifed up. Uh, time's busy, right? been occupied definitely been occupied for sure um yeah it's been uh been a lot went and looked at linens the other day linens yeah pretty, uh, pretty is enthralling like, is that like bed sure. sheets we went with uh uh a little bit of gold and an olive green hint there i think uh is that fun for you classy so yeah a lot of exciting stuff going on what do you where do you go to get linens? Like, is there a specific like store? There's a place on Britain. Um, I don't remember what it was called, but we met our wedding planner there. Linens. I, I had I, I left work to go meet the wedding planner there, actually. So yeah, got to is that like work. a curtain or is it yeah, like a bed sheet? Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, I don't know. About it's that. it's lots. It's a lots of different accompaniments, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't, I still don't know what that means. I I don't either. I I really don't. <laughs> so what did you buy? Yeah, <laughs> pillowcases. I don't. <laughs> it's for tables for the wedding. Oh, okay. I, it's like basically it's like a tablecloth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. For like, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, I know we weren't like going to buy pillows. You can tell how much like I'm a part of this wedding because <laughs> like Jack's getting married later this year, and I'm getting married at the very beginning of June, and like you can tell how much i'm i guess i'm not a part of the wedding planning process in comparison to you are because i'm like i don't even know what that is i like i'm in charge of the cake and that's basically it i'm in charge of the cake and showing up did you get to test the cake yeah i'm supposed to i'm supposed to test the cake we're gonna go and like actually go look at another venue but uh yeah, I'm, I'm excited to taste different kinds of cake. There's apparently there's different kinds of wedding cake. I just thought oh, there was yeah. like, oh, yeah, was like one. Yeah, they're actually like vanilla uh, and chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Out via the mail. So, so I'm really excited about that. I, I had no idea. So it's it's you know the whole wedding thing is new to me. Hopefully it only happens one time. So, but I guess I guess we could talk some Sooners football and basketball and all that other fun stuff and in between. Um, on Sunday evening, I podcasted with Daryl Reininger from the Just Okay Boys, and you know Daryl and Troy are good, good and awesome dudes. And I talked, we talked before the podcast about maybe not talking about the Bridges McGowan situation just because it's so speculative. And uh, now we kind of know a little bit more um, the idea that the other party involved with Bridges and McGowan may not actually charge bridges in mcgowan for whatever happened you can like go and review the police tapes or whatever i'm not going to talk about any the specifics about that but the question that i thought of is hey if these guys aren't charged does that change anything for you or lincoln riley i mean jack i haven't talked to you in a minute what do you think based on the context of things it sounds like there's a chance that it doesn't have much bearing on riley's decision um Seems like they're in some deep doo-doo regardless uh, with the team. So uh, I will just uh, leave it at that. Yeah, Steven, like, 
do you think this says anything or do you think these dudes like regardless of whether or not they are charged with anything that are they're going to be gone like bridges was at practice on friday after the thursday evening situation i mean what do you think i don't think they have to be charged to be uh released from their scholarship or or kicked off the team i think um we kind of talked about it before we don't go into too much detail, but this is essentially strike number two for both parties. And uh, at that point, you kind of just consider just, you know, cutting that free and, and taking away that, that uh, bad vibe from the team. And like, I can see, I can see that happening. I, I, I feel like both parties, uh, both teammates, I guess, McGowan and Bridges, like you said, I, th- I think there's a very low, low, low chance Oklahoma fans will see those two in Sooners jerseys um, anytime in the future or at all, um, regardless if they would be charged with anything or not. This seems so different than anything in the past. Like, I don't because I think about other things. And other like dudes, like even during Bob Stoops, and I mentioned it with Daryl again, like Bob was so weird with his rulings on players and keeping them on the team and not keeping them on the team. Like Damian Williams violated the drug policy like four times and he got kicked off. And that's when Kenny Stills and Tony Jefferson were upset about it, of course. And then, but like, then the whole Joe Mixon situation came about and everybody knows, and now everybody has seen the video, but Joe Mixon ends up staying at OU. And so it's so odd how that those two always kind of worked with Bob Stoops. And then we have Lincoln Riley, who's kind of like a player's coach. And it's like, Hey, you know, if you're not charged with anything, who knows? But I don't know. Like, like Lincoln Riley, do you think he, do you think he's kind of just done? Is it, is it, is it a thing where they need to go get help? What do we think this process is? I think they're done just because of how much uh, how much talent there is at Oklahoma and, and what they think they're going to bring in in the future years um, that you really can't waste time with guys that aren't really going to, uh, for lack of better words, engage in your system. They're not really there to play football. Um, their focus is maybe off the field and more than on the field. And, you know, you really can't have that around guys that are younger coming in. Um, you got like guys like Caleb Williams coming in. It's, it's, it's a strong class, maybe even a stronger class in 2022. And you just really can't have like the, the bad apples in there to kind of set the tone. Do you think that and Lincoln Riley kind of said it about, about Trajan, like in the, in a zoom conference saying like, Hey, you know, when he's got his head on straight, he can play really well. And it's like, yeah, I've never seen Lincoln talk like that about a player. That, that sounds so odd and so abnormal to me that he would be like, Oh yeah. Well, when this guy's head basically is out of his ass, he's a great player. Very blunt and not very coach speaky. Yeah. It was weird. (laughs) Cause Lincoln Riley's like super good at coach speak. It's just so incredibly odd. And that's the the approach he's taking. And I assume like that's a bad situation for both of those dudes. So doesn't look good, but again, not everything. Those charges have been pressed. Uh, It's interesting. There's still a lot of speculation and, I'm just going to leave that up to the speculators that do that stuff. But the good news for OU basketball is that they've gotten three pretty legit transfers into the program. One of them being uh, Tanner Groves. He's, uh, you know, all the big sky player of the year. 
Uh, and his brother, Jacob Groves, who's there going to be there for three years. Tanner's there for two years. Uh, you're getting some size. Uh, I think, I think Jacob Groves, like six foot seven kind of guard forward combo. Tanner's about six, nine and kind of like what you wanted Brady Manic to be, which is a guy that has some muscle inside, but can also like go up with it. And Brady Manic, I don't, is somehow at North Carolina, which blows my mind. And then you also get a Dukie, Jordan Goldwire, point guard from Duke. He's not going to blow your mind with scoring. Uh, he averaged, I think, about four assists a game. I think it was like five, four, and three. So it's not going to wow you with the stats, but all ACC defensive team. And, you know, that really sets up really, really well for Porter Moser's defense because we know he's going to play a very similar style to Virginia, uh, to Rick Majerus as far as like playing the defense really, really tough and making the opposing team's offense pass the ball as many times as possible, killing the shot clock for both sides of the floor offense is sets straight offensive sets and very, very valuing of the possessions defense is just the forefront of that philosophy and having a dude like Goldwire is an ACC defensive player and Elijah Harkless as your kind of backcourt teammates. That's got to be a hell of a tandem for, you know, a defensive point of view, right, Jack? That has Porter Moser written all over it. I mean, it's, it's, right off the bat he basically has his guys it feels like even though they're not guys that he recruited out of high school i mean this goldwire guy i mean he's a bulldog defender he's a calming presence at the point guard position he's not going to wow you with scoring but he's you know a calming you know good floor general and someone who can occasionally hit a clutch three that sounds like Qantas white to me Mm. so i mean that i mean that seems very appealing right off the bat. And then Groves is like literally exactly what you wanted. The minute I heard his name as someone who was rumored to maybe come to Oklahoma, I was like, please God, let this happen. And it did. I'm thrilled. And then, you know, his getting his brother's just a bonus. His brother is a little more raw. He averaged about nine a game yeah. last year in the big sky or just at uh, Eastern Washington, but he scored 23 on Kansas. So, I mean, yeah. he clearly has that upside. It was amazing in the NCAA tournament watching the two Groves brothers just work Kansas over and over and over. Yeah. It's like, holy I remember crap, watching that and thinking, man, Bill Self's team is getting torched by John C. Riley out here. What is <laughs> what is this? This is awesome. Like, and then now that guy's incredible. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. So, and my question would be, and OU still on in, in on some transfers, one one at UTEP, a guard, a can't, the name's escaping me right now. Uh, they need another big man, and of course, uh, I, I mentioned this last you podcast. Guys a big man, the, uh, the one appealing name is yeah. I, I keep the name escapes me. He was a he was from Ada, and he's at A and M last year. I think yeah, last name's Robinson. I mm. I'm blanking on the first name right now, but he was a really high profile guy who reclassified mm-hmm. in 2020, and was maybe a little raw, and it didn't quite work out at A and M. If he somehow ends up at OU, that would be a major get there and so like my question is because college football is very very different and especially now forming teams especially now in the 21st century and 20 post 2020 i guess since ever since like 2016 forming teams in basketball is so different than forming teams in college football and so when i say oh oklahoma's getting transfers in from eastern washington and getting a guy that's not playing that much or playing as much from duke and they might get a utep transfer you know, some people might, you know, kind of turn their nose up at that, but are these guys that, and I guess, and, and I'll go to you, Jack, because I know Steven isn't too much into the basketball talk and the shooty hoops, 
But are these transfers anything to really turn your nose up at, or are they something to be excited about as a Porter Moser is, goes on to his first year at OU? No, you're definitely not turning your nose up to any of these guys. I mean, Groves is, I mean, he was the player of the year in, you know, a mid a quality mid-major conference. Mm-hmm. Big Sky, there's, it's not, you know, it's not the West Coast Conference quite, but it's as far as mid-majors are concerned, but it's not a horrible mid-major conference. And to be the player of the year in that conference is a pretty big deal. And he's a guy who clearly had the chops to play against a high major school. I mean, he scored 35 on Kansas and did so very efficiently. So, I mean, it's, he's someone who's a proven commodity. So you can't turn your nose up at him. And then Goldwire, he's a guy who started 11 games at Duke last year. Granted, Mm -hmm. Duke wasn't anything to write home about last year, especially by Duke standards, but he was first team all ACC defense in the ACC this Mm -hmm. year. And, you know, you're, you've got a coach who prides himself on that exact thing. I, I feel like he's a perfect fit there. I don't know how you could turn your nose up to anything that Oklahoma's done so far. And the names that are still out there right now, they're all highly coveted transfer market commodities. Yeah. So I, I mean, if, see. if you're able to land one or two more of those people, you're looking pretty good heading into 2021, 22. So, I mean, I, for a while, the transfer portal business was pretty one-sided for OU, and that's understandable with losing a coach and having that kind of turnover. But all of a sudden, you're on the offensive again. And now mm-hmm. that you've got a few names in there, you're building a little bit of momentum. And, you know, other guys around the country are saying, hey, look what, look what's going on over at Oklahoma. They got that those goofy-looking white dudes from Eastern Washington. They're pretty good. <laughs> got the Goldwire kid from Duke. Uh, <laughs> You know, you know, uh, anyway, um, I love the fact that Tanner Groves just has that big fro with the headband just keeping it down like Jackie Moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also kind of looking like Charlton Heston in as Moses, you know, it just the dude. It's just so much. But I remember thinking watching the NCAA tournament, I was like, these white kids are giving Kansas buckets after bucket. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my, now they're at OU. And now it's not just one year, it's two for, for, for Tanner Groves, which is great news. And my, I guess my next question would be, you know, people are excited about Porter Moser. Um, the ticket's probably going to be cheaper. How is going to, and Moser took this as a, a personal challenge, you know, <clears throat> a, after he, uh, I guess, got off his private jet with his OU flag. How is he going to fill the... LNC or the McCaslin Fieldhouse, whichever whichever place they play in, he said he's going to fill it. Is it going to be a challenge? Well, what could he do to fill the LNC, or what could he do to fill McCaslin? You you have to both win and be entertaining simultaneously. Like you saw, some of Kelvin Sampson's better teams have trouble filling the arena, and that's because they were not very entertaining to watch at times. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Hollis Price and uh, Aaron McGee team that made the Final Four and then the team after that that made the Elite Eight, they were fairly entertaining, and they were they d- typically filled up the LNC, at least during Big 12 play. And then you have the Buddy Heald team where that was the case because that was a very fun brand of basketball to and watch. Blake Griffin, yeah, that one too. <laughs> but at other times, you've had some decent teams that weren't necessarily fun to watch, and they had trouble filling up the arena. So it's... 
I don't think there's any kind of marketing gimmick that's going to solve this because believe me, they have been trying that for 25 <laughs> years or even further. I mean, Moser, you know, coming in and saying, Hey, I, I might go to the fraternities and try to get them involved. Every coach before him has done that. Passes out pocket shots. Staple did that when I was in school. <laughs> Kruger's done that the whole time. And, you know, all of those, you know, kids, they'll get involved. They'll get hyped about OU basketball, but they're not going to go watch you play, you know, whatever, uh, whatever generic, you know, group of five uh, or not group of five, but whatever, any, you know, some Mid-major random, school, whatever. they're not going to watch you go play, you know, whatever the, like uh, the Citadel or whatever yeah. the Citadel comes in, they're not going to go to the LNC. I mean, that's never going to be the case at OU. I mean, you're never going to fill the arena for cupcakes. That's never going to happen. But you know, if you're, if you put out a quality product, you're not going to maybe sell out every conference game, but you'll sell out a lot of them. So, I mean, I, that's probably where the ceiling is for Moser for the most part. I feel like they need a Jackie moon like yeah, was there you go. kind of guy See, there you go that's one marketing gimmick that might work who knows and porter moser's gonna perform love me sexy oh halftime and i would be down <laughs> for that right like in like i would i would show up just to see that like what would you like before the game a day before the game you tell people in the lnc or mccaslin whichever one they play the games at top dog is gonna be dressed out and he's gonna jump through three hoops that are lit on fire <laughs> would you show up because my ass would be in the stands hoping that something it's either awesome and miraculous or something horribly goes wrong like it's gonna die like old school like that's what you i could jump on seven of. hoops it's still difficult to get students to go all the way down to lloyd noble for you and i we're adults and going from campus to Lloyd Noble Center doesn't sound like a big deal when you have to commute to work every That's day. Fair. That's but fair. when you're in college, most things, most entertainment options are in very close proximity to you. That's why it's got to be a McCaslin then. So yeah, exactly. And it's it, that how feasible is that? I probably not very feasible. I mean, expanding McCaslin and, uh, because uh, you can't keep it at 4,000. I think that's the capacity of McCaslin at this point. It's about 4,000. You can't keep it at 4,000. It'd have to be bumped up to like probably nine or 10 somehow. And I don't know how feasible that would be or their new deck on they have, but you know, it would, you definitely need some sort of on-campus option in order to draw students. What else, could, <laughs> what, what, else, at least. what else could you do to get students there? Like they've tried it. They've, they've tried. What do you say? Some, get some Dogecoin. Get some Dogecoin. Every go. time you yeah, go at, to at uh, the door. Yeah. Check in, you get a little Doge. You could uh, half. No, I don't think they would go for that. I was going to say like half dollar, like half price beer, but I don't know if that would be a thing that. Yeah, just promote underage drinking. Yeah. yeah. I'm down. Man, I don't, I don't know how you could get You'd students. Make a lot of money. I don't know. Just, I mean, just like do your beer promotion and then <clears throat> just sort of turn the other cheek i won't tell yeah that's a good question maybe you, like maybe like you learn some of barry switzer's secrets at halftime and like he comes out and reads and tells you some of the wild stuff they did in the 80s he, yeah you get one recruiting story from barry switzer 
or one boz story like on how much drugs this man was on i don't know you know it, it you know just something like that that would hype up the crowd but who knows like three credit hours for attending like 15 games hey maybe oh. we've, we're on to something now there you go <laughs> hey you get three athletics and athletics uh you get a pass whatever like it gets pass fail to pass pass course well, yeah, yeah pass fail. there you go three so there's three. school spirit credits mm. that from uh, unc <laughs> oh my god they'd give the players they credits for going <laughs> yeah, to the game i, I forgot hey, if you just play like 20 home games you don't have to go to school hey man that's what i did so i'm here rocking it out that, that's interesting that i mean like i i would dig that especially for the freshman class like hey as a part of your university uh core classes that you have to take which is garbage go. hey they do show up to the game were you wait? Did you do undergrad at OU? I didn't do undergrad at OU. Okay, at OU they had this class called Gateway. It was just this garbage class that was like an intro to OU situation. Uh-huh. They could get rid of Gateway oh, yeah. and make you go to OU basketball games instead. It's like those university one thousand and one level classes that you have to yeah. like. You know, like <laughs> you have to take what that was. Yeah, you have to take the test. Like and like, hey. Class don't smoke on campus hey like you know there are various rape whistles around like campus and like you press a button if you see something <laughs> wrong uh, and like they teach you like all the fundamental things the university also go to basketball games as per this class's uh, syllabi mm-hmm. i'm down I'm, I'm i'm into it um i guess we could cover a little something a little bit more serious before we go to a break uh let's talk about lincoln Riley a little bit more but more on the football side of things i was thinking about this earlier and Lincoln Riley, this man hustles on the recruiting game a lot. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily work on running backs late in the cycle. But let's say Alex Grinch were to leave after this year for a good D1 job without any sort of, of course, NCAA violations. Because so, if there weren't NCAA violations, I feel like he would have taken the Tennessee job like most people would have. And let's say Alex Grinch does leave. Stephen, how... How far would that set back Lincoln Riley from winning a national title if he doesn't this year or not, or if, if at all for that, I'd say a minimum of three years wow. because we've seen, we've seen how important body types are your are to your system. So uh, they bring in another guy, unless they take a guy like Odom and just promote him. Mm-hmm. Um, you're bringing in an all new system. You need all new mentality for your defense. It's going to take a little bit to get going. And it's going to take a little bit to to get those uh, those bodies in there. And within three years, you could recruit some guys, maybe some high-level guys, and then fill in the gaps with some transfers. So I'll go to like a bare minimum of three years on that one. Jack, what about you? See, here's the thing. I think the caveat that you pointed out, Stephen, if they could promote Brian Odom or maybe retain part of the staff, which here's the thing. A lot of the defensive guys would probably go with Grinch wherever he went. But if you were able to retain – you know, Odom and maybe one or two others and maybe keep some of that brain trust there and keep the system in place. I think you'd be able to tread water at least for a little bit before they got fully acclimated. I think it might not necessarily be catastrophic. I think you could theoretically uh, you know, kind of tread water from there. I think, I think and you know, Odom over the couple of years, I am getting a sore throat. Sorry. <coughs> but yeah, I think 
it wouldn't necessarily be disastrous if, you know, provided you were able to keep Brian Odom and you were able to sort of keep those philosophies in place. Like you've seen this a lot with offensive gurus at certain schools. When one is hired to be a head coach somewhere else, you know, say you maybe keep the quarterback coach in town and keep the offensive system in place. You could theoretically do something similar to that with defense. I don't think that's necessarily unprecedented here. Would you bring Ruffin McNeil back (laughs) as an advisor? (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting to point. I think it's because I I thought about, hey, Grinch leaves. You try as hard as you can to, to retain Brian Odom. And maybe even this year, start maybe thinking about grooming Brian Odom to take over a defense because... You know, unless unless he unless Grinch leaves and Brian Odom says, hey, want a bigger job? I'm ready for a D.C. position. Who knows? I'm a really big fan of Brian Odom and I'm also, of course, a big fan of what he's done with the linebackers. But I think it would set back OU a couple of years now. What about this? Is Lincoln Riley going to win a national title in the next three years? Uh, I said it's more likely now than it has been in the past four years. Yeah. I think that uh, the overall depth defensively is finally at a point where it's possible. Like it's just so theory, it's possible. It's hard to believe Lincoln Riley has been at the helm since since 2017, right? And like I totally forgot some of those years. He he had the year with Baker, then Kyler, then (laughs) then Jalen Hurts. One year Spencer Rattler. Now he's had a different starting quarterback all four years. Yes. How wild is that? It's in it's insane. And now he's going into his what his fifth year, and this is the first time he's had a returning quarterback on his end. And so it's it's just wild to think about. Man, he's already been here for five damn years. Like why? It's just it's blows. Yeah, it does feel like yesterday. I I, I could like oh. Bob's stepping down. Who's next? Lincoln's up. No, man. Remember Bob stepping down? That was a weird day. That was a very weird day. I remember like the rumblings came out and I was at Texadelphia in Bricktown when, (laughs) when it all happened, it was a, it was pretty wild, but man, interesting stuff. But anyways, we're going to go to a break for our sponsors, but before we go, these are the things we're going to talk about on the other side. We're going to break down the offensive line, kind of talk about what's been going on in practice. Uh, Haven't been, I heard it's not been a good time for them in practice lately. We're going for a break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, guys. So talking about the offensive line, before we even get to the actual players that are the tackles and the interior, rumors suggest that the OU offensive line is having some trouble in practice, especially as center. Turns out it's hard to replace an All-American center, uh, Creed Humphrey. Also just sounds like the defense is just beating the living hell out of this offensive line and the offense in general. Uh, Jack, what do you, what do you, you, is there anything to take away from that or is that normal? Well, dealing with Perry on Winfrey up the middle, probably for anyone other than Creed Humphrey, probably seems pretty daunting. I mean, it's whoever you put in there, it's not going to go that swimmingly. And here's the thing. You've seen this a lot with Bill Bedenboe's unit, by the end of the year, they are a well-oiled machine, but it seems like no matter who they're plugging in there, they usually, it usually takes them four to six games to really get acclimated. It's usually around OU Texas Mm. where it happens. 
it's I, I I would expect there there to be a lot of growing pains here for the offensive line. I think by the end of the year they're going to be fantastic because the upside there is just off the charts. But it's uh it's going to be it's going to be a transition period, especially when you're replacing a center and one who was a starter for what was it f- three years. I mean it's mm-hmm. that's a lot to overcome for an offensive line. Luckily the early goings of the season are not going to be terribly challenging for the offensive line. I mean, Tulane's defensive line is not going to give them much of a challenge. I don't think Nebraska is going to do too much either on that front, but uh, you know, it's luckily you have a little bit of a buffer there up until OU Texas. So I feel like it's probably not going to be too big of an issue, but, I don't think things are going to be very pretty for the run game early in the year. Mm. I think pass pro will probably go a bit more swimmingly. And that's what we've seen in the past. Uh, Pass pro has been fairly smooth early in the season, but running run blocking has been a bit of an issue. I'd expect to see a lot more of that this year. I would anticipate. Steven, tell me, just, just tell me that. Ian McIver and Eric Swenson will not be starting on the offensive line. Uh, well, Ian McIver seems to be having a pretty decent, uh, decent camp, but I don't think that's going to hold out. Um, I think what Jack said is spot on, but I'll also add that OU has been a little bit spoiled as far as offensive centers go. Cause you go from Darlington and then you go to Wren and that's obviously an upgrade physically. <laughs> and then you go up to Creed Humphrey. I mean, sorry. You can only go so high before you have to come back down to earth. So, um, they've been a little bit spoiled. They haven't got had to go through this process for a while. Did you just crap on Tyler Arlington? A little bit. It's nothing personal, though. (laughs) It's not personal. I'm just. Hey, if you get your (laughs) if you get your quarterback paralyzed, it says something about your. Oh my god, dude! I remember that game. Oh, that 2014 Baylor game was terrible. It was rough. It was a rough little go for the offensive line. Because remember early in the game, Trevor Knight leaped over a Baylor defender and we're like, all right, giddy up, let's go. And next thing you know, he's laying in the backfield and he can't move. (laughs) And like, I'm so, I'm glad he's okay, but my goodness, transient quadriplegia. He said, I was awake and alive on the field could not move my limbs that's what trevor knight said that's that's probably a terrifying experience yes. right oh my gosh like can you imagine that like i'm awake i can move my eyes i can think i just can't move my body right now that's terrifying to, to think about but no man i agree and you know i guess uh chris murray's been having a little bit of tough time understanding the offense too much um i i'm i'm hopeful that andrew rain is a guy that takes over a center i'm a big rain guy i love him i love his idea i love the idea of him playing center he's really really intelligent and that's one of the things you need in a center i mean gabe eichard that dude may have not been physically the best but his senior year he's actually put on more weight and was actually more physical than he was his junior year which he had a good senior year He's, but he had it all between the ears. And uh, Creed Humphrey had it between the ears and just physical as hell. Eric Wren just had it all between the ears again. And he really slotted himself into that kind of formation. And 
I know Andrew Rain. He's smart. That dude has it all between the ears. He's intelligent. It's all get out. But also, he wants to kick your ass. And that's kind of what you want in the center. And so I'm all for team Andrew Rame as being the center of this team. But McIver, like, like you kind of mentioned, kind of like Eric Wren, he's that guy that isn't necessarily on scholarship, but is reliable and is doing the right things because he knows the offense so well. And, um, man, I, but my question is, because I've seen a lot of hate lately, people are kind of starting to turn on Bill Beatembo. Is, uh, is that warranted? I didn't know that was happening. Oh, man, people have been crapping all over Bill Beatenbow since the beginning of last season. Like, oh, yeah, well, they, you know, they ended well, but uh, they've got a lot to figure out without Creed. People are well, last I mean, season really on. It, ended, it started off poorly last year and due in large part to the fact that they, a bunch of them were out with COVID for half the summer. Well, I that, mean, how, and how they came back overweight. expect the offensive line to start gelling during that type of offseason? Plus, you didn't have spring to get acclimated either. I mean, right? How can you shit on Beedenbow for any of that? That's just stupid. I'm sorry. I don't know, man. It's it, you know they because I thought this was my thing. All those dudes besides Creed came back way overweight, and like you said, yeah. with the COVID kind of spring break summer, that there's no continuity there. But at the same time, a lot of people are pissed off because, oh, they bring back pretty much the same group, especially the interior. Of course, they did was was the same group between Hayes, Robinson, and uh, Creed, of course, and uh, even Adrian Ely. And people were just did not understand, like, how you bring back four of the five same guys, and it's still a bad product. And so people were starting to think, well, who's the people that Bill Beatemba recruited? And I think people forget Bill Beatemba was, like, a major, major hire in – and what he was the 2014 hire, right? And then Lincoln came in 15, I think. And he, you know, he got Samia and he was a freshman starter, especially he took over for Josiah St. John because he kept on tipping off Texas. God, that was a terrible game. And he eventually ended up starting in the, I think it was the Orange Bowl against Clemson. I forget they played Clemson twice. I, I don't remember. Uh, but the, he started for the Sooners and became a really big guy. And now he's in the NFL, just like Ben Powers and just like Cody Ford and all the other guys. But Bill Beatembo is catching some some heat. And I don't think it's Calvin Thibodeau levels of heat. And people and like me, when me <laughs> and Steven run a podcast, I just told people that I didn't like Calvin Thibodeau just to straight up F off. But I mean, Steven, do you think any of this Bill Beatembo hate is kind of warranted? Or do you think, do you agree with Jack that like these people need to kind of like, you know, F off? Uh, I think people are a little bit too reactionary. Um, when it comes to the offensive line, it's a little bit more than just, you know, plugging and playing a skill player. Like, cause you can plug in CD Lamb, he's going to play right away as a freshman and do pretty well, have a 700 yard season, all that but you can't plug and play offensive linemen as well as you can mm -hmm. like a skill position or a quarterback or especially running back in that instance. So it's tougher. And, and that's why a lot of the offensive line coaches, when they, when they do get that million dollar paycheck, they tend to stay because they're, they're great at their job. They don't really move on too often. I'm not worried about Bill Beatenbow. I'm not worried about the offensive line. Oklahoma has a bevy of talent. I would just be disappointed if this, offensive line kind of fell flat through the majority of the season except with the exception of like the last four games like they did last season but of course last season you kind of throw out their books right 
because everything is so weird and everything's kind of messed up with they didn't COVID. know they were going to play yeah they didn't, like, for a while they, everybody was shutting their leagues down and then the big 12 and the sec and the acc are like no nah, we're good and then everybody else started to play and then ohio state only played. how many games did ohio state play last year like five five six? five games and they i think they were like, gonna play six and then they called it off they amended that rule so they could play the championship game that's right the big 12 uh the big 10 rearranged their isn't that so garbage Man, that's terrible. Trey Sermon smile at the camera, then getting smacked the next game. But <laughs> let's talk about the offensive line, kind of doing not necessarily a deep dive, but kind of doing a preview. Oklahoma, I mean, we can start with the, the interior. They've got a decent amount of talent on the interior. Marquise Hayes, who's been there for forever. Tyrus Robinson, who's been there for forever. You have Pac-12 All-American, Chris Murray, even though how hard is it really to be a Pac-12 All-American? That conference is garbage. Robert Congle is from is a, the transfer from Arizona. Ian McIver's been on on the team for the longest time, and his you know Lincoln Riley has actually mentioned McIver several times over the last year and a half about being a guy that's consistently there and a guy that consistently takes snaps. Like he was the backup center last year. EJ and Doma Ogar is at Missouri now, and then of course you have up and comer. Andrew Rame, along with some others that I'm just not naming because there's I'm not going to name the entire you know roster and depth chart on this interior offensive line. Who are the best three, and who are the guys you're excited about? And Jack, I'll come to you first. You know Hayes, he didn't have the cleanest season last year, but he's of that group. He's the first person you think of. He's got the highest NFL upside of those of that group. Robinson, he doesn't have quite the upside, but he's generally solid. And then Rame, I mean, as actually, as far as upside, Rame actually probably would be the one. But he, and also his versatility is a huge thing there. That's, I, I probably, I tell you what, contingent on whether or not he is ready to play this year and is up to speed, I'd probably maybe go with Rame just because of his versatility. He's someone who could play center. Theoretically, he could play guard. Got quick Maybe feet. Maybe even potentially tackle. Probably not tackle, just, just because there are so many different bodies at tackle this year. They're, they're not going to need him to play tackle. But he's, uh, yeah, that versatility and just sort of that mean streak that sort of reminds you of Creed Humphrey a little mm-hmm. bit and of, of a lot of uh, Bill Biedenboe's best uh, – players over the years uh guys who sort of set the tone for the offensive line guys like orlando brown or cody ford who've definitely got that mean streak hayes has got that too he just needs to sort of uh get it under control at times but um yeah rame i think is probably the guy who would excite me the most hayes i'd say right now is think stand is probably the best of that group but mm-hmm. rame is the guy who would have to excite you the most man if if Hayes and Robinson could just stop with the dumb penalties after the play, right. yeah. they'd be so much better players at OU because, you know, it's just like the 15 yarders that they're punching people after the play. And I love the fact that Marquise Hayes is a bully and he wants to just physically not just beat you up in the game, but he probably just wants to beat you up in general because he's just kind of that bully on the field. The kind of a road grader is like this, this nasty in the trenches. And, you know, I love Marquise Hayes. Tyrus Robinson is a little, little less uh, consistent in his play. But, you know, you look at the Florida game, this man's like running down the sideline with Seth McGowan trying to block still. 
And so I thought that was re- that's that's always a fun thing. I think Andrew Rame has really really quick feet. I think he's really intelligent. I could see him at center. Chris Murray, he's like the shortest one out of all these dudes, uh, but comes in with some accolades. I don't know how talented he really is. Again, because like he put on a UCLA team, that UCLA team UCLA team wasn't that great. The Pac-12 was not a great football conference at all. So I'm not really sure where I truly view chris murray out of this entire group i mean steven what do you think about this interior i mean you look at hayes as the most physically imposing guy he's your he's your freak athlete um so he's not really going to go anywhere tyrese robinson's kind of interesting for me because when he first came in bill biedenboe kind of described him as uh like a jack of all trades of sorts like they thought they could move this guy from guard maybe if they had to a center and they even talked about it at a tackle now i don't think He'll probably move out there at this point in his career, but um, he's one of those guys that he's good at a lot of things. I don't think he's great at, at one thing. So for me, I would go Andrew Rame over uh, Robinson and then Chris Murray, um, probably above Robinson as well, as far as being a more physical blocker. And from what I understand, Robinson and Beatenbow don't necessarily get along too much. I was they didn't get along too you know, it's much. It's hard to get along with an offensive last, line coach. Last last year, but that's also pretty true. But let's also shift over to tackles because you know at OU, especially this year, they've got a lot of great talent in the interior. It's almost too much for the point where they might kick out, like you said, and they might kick out somebody like Tyrese Robinson to a tackle if they can't find the one um at right tackle or left tackle, deciding who plays where. But on offensive tackles, I mean, you've got dudes like, you know, again, SEC freshman All-American that transferred to OU, one of the Tennessee guys, one of the Tennessee two, not Johnny Cash. But, you know, Wanye Morris, who's going to play, he seems like he's going to play either left or right tackle. He seems to be slotted in as a starter already. But then you've got dudes like Eric Swenson that isn't necessarily a fan favorite, especially, you know, when he's playing hurt. <laughs> you've got Anton Harrison, who... You know, he looked good in some spurts, but looked like a total freshman in some spurts and looked like he didn't even know the plays in some instances. But you also got names like Daryl. Is it we never even figured out if it was Daryl or Darrell Simpson? We really <laughs> never figured that out. I think it's Darrell. We got Darrell, Stacy Wilkins, and Noah Nelson. Those are in the Noah Nelson was like a highly rated recruit, just underweight. So I'm just like very curious to see what happens in the offensive tackle room. We all know. Wanye Morris is getting one of those tackle spots. Right. I just want to know who is going to get that second tackle spot. <laughs> and I swear if it's Eric Swenson, if, if it's you Eric know, Swenson, it's going to be Eric Swenson, if it's Eric Swenson game one, I can deal. That's fine. If it's Eric Swenson, it after probably the Texas will game, be him game one. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> you need to mentally prepare yourself. For that. And that's, that's okay. That's okay to me. But if, if he has not proven his metal, and it's after the Texas game, and he's still starting, I'm going to lose it. Is that fair? I, I just, I really want to see Stacey Wilkins become a consistent contributor. Wasn't his, wasn't he's his one of the most exciting video. recruits to me over the past several years. I thought he was just going, I thought he was just a shoe in to be great, honestly. Did, didn't he have like a, a commitment video that was like him walking through the street with like a briefcase, or was that? That was Adrian Ely. Ely. Okay, it was yeah, Ely. That was like Bleacher uh, Report or yeah, something. That was something right. weird. And I, I just forgot. So Wilkins is from Arkansas then, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I flipped yeah. the two. But so 
Steven, I'll go to you first before Jack. What do you think? Who's going to start opposite of Wanye Morris on the, <laughs> on the line? Uh, so for this, this is what Brady Trantham always grills me about when I see him. He's like, well, you're too nice on the podcast. Cause you say someone's not going to do anything, but they might do it. Who knows? Daryl Simpson or Darrell, whatever it is, slow feet. Don't eat. Uh, he's got slow feet. He's not going to start. Uh, Stacey Wilkins, we'll see. He was a lot lighter than I thought he would be coming in. So I think maybe a lot of that is just his commitment to the weight room and nutrition. Um, so I don't think he'll be out there at least game one. So I'll go, I'll go Anton Harrison because I liked what he did last season. He was a freshman, so he's still getting used to the speed of the game. Uh, with a full off season, I think he'll, he'll finally get that start. Jack, do you concur? I kind of concur just because, yeah, Anton Harrison, he was a true freshman last year who didn't have a spring, mm -hmm. and he still managed to consistently contribute and often shine. So I would say – I'm going to say Swenson starts against Tulane. I bet Harrison starts against Texas. Oh, man, that'll be fun. And, you know, Sw I get I get the deal with Swenson. He's – the guy, I mean, remember when he rec was recruited by OU that he was dumped basically by Michigan late by Harbaugh, and, yeah, and by Harbaugh and Lincoln. Riley was like, well, for some reason he can't play at Michigan, but he can play in the best offense in the country. And then like you saw him play at OU, and you're like, wait, what? Um, but I get why he was starting last year. He knew the playbook really well. He knows where he's supposed to be. He's also he's also injured, but he was the best guy that they had at that point. And as the year goes on, you know, Swenson knows the playbook. He's getting extra reps. He, you know, does everything to the full extent of his abilities and beat and bow loves that crap. And at the same time, Anton Harrison, the dude didn't know the plays. He just didn't know where he's supposed to be at. And so like, if you're Bill Beatenbo, you have to choose between, all right, upside of this guy just like figuring it the hell out in the middle of the game, or you have a guy that knows what he's supposed to do and will sometimes maybe get Spencer Rattler murdered in the backfield, hopefully not experiencing a tre Trevor Knight part two <laughs> on the field. And so like a healthy Eric Swenson could be good. Sure, maybe. I don't know. But I'm more likely to want wanting to visit the upside of Anton Harrison because it feels like when they were both playing in a, early in the year, we saw this. They one would play like one half, and the other play would, would play the second half. And it felt like to me that Anton Harrison's floor was much higher than Eric Swenson's. But also, not only that, he's a true. He was a true freshman last year. I think his ceiling has to be far higher than Eric Swenson's. But I don't know how much of Eric Swenson's injury was a legit hindrance to his game. We know Anton Harrison. He had a, he had a bum shoulder. So he, and so I don't know. Like, is that gonna is that gonna hold up? I mean, you're playing football as a lineman. You know, <laughs> like your shoulder as a wide receiver. You know, you may have less issues, but as a lineman, where you're literally just getting punched the shit out of your shoulders time after time, how how is that gonna hold up? Unless you're wearing like, of course, like shoulder braces, like for your rotator cuffs and stuff. Like, how is that gonna hold up? Does that make sense? Uh, it doesn't because I had shoulder surgery and it did not hold up. <laughs> so that's at what all. I'm, so that's, that's first thing to count. Like the wear and tear, the wear and tear of the season. And so I wonder how much of a hindrance it was to his game. And I'm still, I would still be betting on Anton Harrison's upside just because of what we saw him as a freshman 
And if he if he learns all that stuff, if he learns the playbook, just learn the playbook and put him at right tackle, not a left, where there's less responsibility and just let him go road grade people. But man, I'm just if Eric Swenson, if Eric Swenson is showing out this year, good for him. Cool, great, awesome, grand. But if it's been the way it has the last two seasons and he's still starting post-Texas, gonna lose my mind. But going on to the next thing, Steven, give me your best five. Not necessarily who's going to start on this offensive line, but who are the best five people available? Best five. Uh, let's go. Wanya Morris, Marquise Hayes, Andrew Rame, Chris Murray, and Anton Harrison. Dang. No but Tyrese I'll Robinson. Go, no Tyrese Robinson. I will give an honorable mention to Noah Nelson. Wow. He's gotten some a little bit of praise. Jack, what about you? Are we going by position? Are we doing, you know, two, te- okay, just five? Okay. Posi- um, positionless offensive line Positionless? Stuff. Okay, I'll uh-huh. go Hayes. I'll go Morris. I'll go Raim. I tell you, I'll throw I'll throw Tyrese in there. I know his upside isn't as high, but he's a proven commodity. And he's 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 not as trash as Eric Swenson, so. I'll, I'll <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I hope Eric. I hope Eric doesn't listen, he listen to this podcast. podcast. Yeah, big I'll, fan. Uh, He's a big yeah, fan. I'll, of pod. I'll <laughs> throw Tyrese in there at number four. And then five. Ooh, that's uh. Oh, I'll go. Did I already say Anton Harrison? You can throw him in there twice if you want. Yeah, I'll throw him in there a second time. I like him because if if I I tell you what, if I had already thrown him in there, I'll put Stacy Wilkins in there. How about that? Yeah, and that's that's fine. I think I think a lot of us can agree that Marquise Hayes is going to be in there, and that Andrew Rain belongs in there. I think those two definitely belong, and Wanya Morris. I think we could say all three of those guys belong in there. Then it gets like, okay, who the hell are you going to pick? You have Chris Murray. The dude was an All American in the Pac-12, but how much does that really matter? You got and you got Stacy Wilkins, who you know the rumors of him maybe transferring when Wanye Morris transferred to OU like how much is he really going to be a contributor this year because people have been waiting for him to put on weight and have a really good spring and maybe he just missed out on a really good spring last year so he couldn't contribute so you know I would go Hayes I would go Robinson just because he's been there for so long that doesn't necessarily mean that he's that great uh I would go Rame, Hayes, Robinson, Murray, and then Morris. Uh, so basically, we're looking at four interiors in one tackle, is what I would say. But, you know, Tyrus Robinson can play tackle. They've even experimented with him at tackle. Rame, they've been looking at him on the interior. I don't know as much as it at, at on the outside. So I'm just intrigued by that. But 247 tweeted out a graphic that I thought was just like just total garbage. I don't want to talk about it. They said, is the title college football coaches under the most, like most pressures, of course, like enlarged, uh, enlarged, enlarged is not a word enlarged in like, of course, in white font, most college football coaches under the most pressure entering this season. And you've got dudes like Kirby smart. That's fair. Clay Hilton fair. Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'm surprised he's not fired already. Justin Fuente, a former OU guy. I'm surprised he's not fired already. Jeff Brome. Scott Frost makes sense. And then Lincoln Riley finds his way onto this list. What? Am I missing something? Am I taking crazy pills? I guess their rationale is that maybe they think that this is Riley's year to actually 
break through and reach at least the championship game, but he does not belong on a list. Not, neither does Kirby Smart, t- to his defense. Neither of those two names really belong on that list. Helton, Helton has been a dead man walking at SC for like five years. <laughs> they need to just rip the bandage off and stop putting him through this every year. That's like it, it's getting ridiculous. Like he's just, he's been, he's, I, I, I kind of, I saw his name on this list and I kind of just assumed that he had already been fired like in 2018. <laughs> like I, I, I can't keep up with whether or not Clay Helton has been fired at you. It's US the Pac 12. Nobody cares about football. Yeah. And Jim Harbaugh, he's done after this year, obviously. How has he Fuente, not been fired yet? Fuente after the stories. Is, done after this year virginia tech's a good football job they can find someone good um yeah brome at purdue i don't know how much better purdue can do than brome honestly um frost yeah he's he's toast i uh, unfortunate for frost because i thought that was going to be a home run higher i mean nebraska is a program with the ceiling obviously like since they you know Oh, they're no longer Ryan. I mean, they cut off their Texas recruiting pipeline. Their ceiling is very low at this point. They're basically their ceiling is basically becoming like a Wisconsin or an Iowa now. They're not going to be like a power. That's very sad. They can just, you know, win by kind of just beefing up the front line and just kind of playing that way. The playing the way that Scott Frost is wanting to play, it's not going to work there. They they have to become basically an Iowa or a Nebraska. And they're not doing that right now. Once they come to terms with that, they could maybe be pretty good and maybe win the Big Ten West consistently. But until they come to terms with that fact, they're not going to do that, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, I've gone way off topic. But, yeah, Riley does (laughs) not belong on this list. That's the main bullet point there. I was talking to to your Frost comment. I was talking to one of our listeners um, who lives in Nebraska. His name is Vaughn Alavi. And I was asking, like, hey, what is the what is the mood about OU playing Nebraska out there? And he said, you know, the fans are very excited to play OU, despite that all of them know they're going to get their asses handed to them, which is, you know, nice to, that the Nebraska fans are, it's you a know, very smart kindling that. It's fantastic. They're, they're, it's fantastic. They're not disillusioned. They knew they know who they are. I mean, at this point, and I feel bad for Justin Fuente just because the former OU guy, he had a lot of success at Memphis and he had a pretty good first year at Virginia tech. If I am remembering correctly, They've but gradually then, gotten worse, pretty much worse. Oh yeah. And my question here though, because Lincoln Riley, I guess they would suggest, because this reads as like a hot seat thing. You look at, you look at Helton, Harbaugh, Fuente, Broman, Frost. Those are all hot seat coaches. Kirby Smart is probably in Lincoln Riley probably are under pressure to win big games. And like Kirby Smart's one of the ones that you know they won a big game against Lincoln Riley. So like, what can you say there? I want to know how was Jim Harbaugh not fired the moment he slept over at a recruit's house? Did he bring bring his own sleeping bag? And he did he sleep in the khakis? Definitely That's- slept in the khakis. <laughs> this dude, I bet this dude like. That's not even the wildest uh, Jim Harbaugh story. What's the wildest Jim Harbaugh story? Uh, allegedly, he went into some highly touted recruit, uh, his house. I think this is right when they went over to Jordan, I believe. I, I could be wrong, but uh, he walked in on their new, like, hardwood floors that they got in, uh, in cleats and, like, scratched them up. 
still waiting. So he like he arrived at this this recruit's house in his khakis and uh, Jordan brand cleats, and just like walked through their house. What is this guy doing? He... <laughs> it's so disappointing because like he was good at Stanford. What happened? When did he turn into such a weirdo? <laughs> was it after he went to the NFL? It was. Maybe. Man, I bet this dude straight up, like, and he wears those khakis with pleats. I bet he 100% like slept in tidy whities next to this recruit's bed in a sleeping bag. I, I can't get that image out of my mind. That's probably what he did. But I mean, I, Lincoln Riley under most pressure, like, I can feel, I can see Lincoln Riley being under pressure to win a college football playoff game, especially now that his defense is good and really doesn't have an excuse not to win one big game. I feel like that's, do you think that's fair? Uh, it's fair. Jack, what about you? I'm not expecting him to, or we're talking about Harbaugh still, right? We're talking Lincoln Riley. There's that. Oh, there's Riley. Oh, that yeah, I mean, his I, defense I is good. Like this is a year where that window is definitely open. A lot of it has to do with the fact that, Oklahoma is one of the few blue bloods that returns a quarterback this year. That's true. It's I, I feel like for that reason, the window is open a little bit more even. I mean, Clemson has DJ, so they're not – I mean, Trevor Lawrence is great, obviously, but they're not going to fall off a ton at quarterback. Clemson's still going to be great. Bama's figuring Bama's out. Bama's got Bryce Young. They're going to be damn good. But every year. you can't discount experience, and Rattler's got a full year of it under his belt, and he's finally ha- he finally gets to have a spring. This is his first spring, yeah, first I mean, real one. Well, pretty crazy. Yeah. He didn't really have a spring in, last yeah. year. He didn't. Well, get that's right. He came in late, and if and if yeah. he had came in and if he had came in spring without Jalen Hurts, I don't Jaylen think Jalen would not have, come to not have played. Yeah, come in spring. I forgot about. I forgot yeah. Rattler came in the summer, not in the spring. And yeah, so he's it, never had a spring. Man, so. man, I'm anyway. hoping he turns that leaf and stops throwing into triple coverage or just stops holding on to the ball for far too long. Right. Like I like I dig the spin moves out of pressure, but he's gonna get killed. And I hate that. Like he like sidesteps, sidestepping is fine, but like spitting out of like a tackle by a defensive end, don't like that. Just get rid of it. A dumpy of a hot route, just it's there for a reason, buddy. But talking about spring, the spring game going on this Saturday. Every year, there's a spring game all-star, and it's usually never somebody of substance because they take out their starters after like two to three series. So you don't have to do it for offense and defense. You can just pick one before we get out of here. Who's your guys' spring game all-star this year? You might have to take a deep dive into their actual roster. I'm going to go Mario Williams this year. Mm. I'm going to definitely go Mario Williams. You think I mean, he scores he a was... couple touchdowns? Oh, yeah. He probably scores two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a lot of Ryan Broyles in him. I think he's going to be a guy who, sort of like Mims a year ago, just sort of feels like he belongs right off the bat. He's going to be one of those guys, I feel like. Is Caleb Williams going to be throwing him those touchdowns, or do you think it'll be Rattler? Could be both. That'd be fun. Steven, what about you? For this, I'll go with a defensive guy. I'll go with uh, Bryson Washington. I think uh, they're going to rotate those safeties pretty often, especially with Pat Fields out. So he's going to get an opportunity to uh, to showcase his, his ability. 
I think it's fair. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go defense. Um, because I think I think Jack made a pretty compelling argument about Mario Williams. The dude's been killing it in practice. Like he's just been killing and stretching the defense. And you know, the defense is largely just beating the hell out of the offense. But I guess the other day in practice, Mario Williams just went off. And so I think I, I can buy that hype. And I'm not really worried about Mario Williams. I think he's gonna be another guy that contributes early and often, kind of like Marvin Mims did. And uh, but deep, I'm gonna go defense, I'm gonna stick with defense. But instead of Bryson Washington at safety, I'm going to go with another safety. I'm going to go Jordan Mukes. This dude has been taking advantage of all the reps he's been given with Pat Fields out. DeLorean Turner-Yale has been out a little bit, of course. Just like any minor thing, they keep all these dudes out. And so Jordan Mukes has been making the most of his opportunity in, you know, swatting balls, getting interceptions. And, of course, it could be any of the defensive backs. I mean, Woody Washington's being held out. I don't know how much Jaden Davis is playing. Uh, DJ Graham, I think, has been out for a little bit. And but dudes like Latrell McCutcheon have been making noise. Um, and, oh, oh, who am I thinking of? The other cornerback, the long, long athlete. Eaton. Uh, yeah, Josh Eaton. And another guy that people have been raving about. Just a lot of potential there. But I'm going to go with Jordan Mukes that he maybe gets an interception or two. Maybe gets an interception in the second half, second half against uh, like Tanner Shaper or something like that, but makes plenty of plays. That's kind of where I'm at. But do you guys like, and I asked, I asked Daryl this in the last podcast. Do you guys actually get excited for the spring game or is it kind of just like one of those things that you just show up to and you kind of just see what happens and it's not really anything exciting? It's not something where I want to take any kind of a conclusions from. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to be reactionary to anything I see. What I really want to do is just, I basically focus on the skill positions for the spring game. Mm. I want to see what those guys can do. You know, newcomers at the skill positions, particularly just see what they can do athletically and just sort of see them in person for the first time and see them with division one athletes for the first time. That's the big thing for me. I remember seeing DeMarco Murray for the first time. Oh, that spring game was lit. When he was his first spring, when he had a great spring game and finally seeing what he looked like with all of those other guys. And it was just really exciting. I mean, it's just, it's fun to see freshmen at the skill positions. That's my big thing usually with the spring game. Mine is just me constantly praying, don't get injured. And that's what, yes. that's, that's my mantra at the <laughs> spring game. Uh, Steven, what about you? Uh, I'll go with a more recent development. I want to see how transfers fit in in spring games because they're you look at a guy like uh, Eric Gray, and you can only watch so much film on Eric Gray until you kind of want to see how he fits in the system. So I think it's going to be exciting. Um, there's not going to be too many takeaways from it um, that are going to transition into the summer and especially into the fall um, as guys kind of develop. But uh, it'll be exciting. I just want to see some football, to be honest. Remember when – Remember when it was, I think it was 2014, Baker Mayfield was not going to play the season, but he was still going to play in the spring game. And remember when Baker Mayfield went perfect in the spring game and Trevor Knight was just Trevor Knight. And we, a lot of people made a lot of excuses for Trevor Knight and like, oh, he's going against the one. That's why he was like seven of 15 and had no touchdowns. And Baker Mayfield was going against the twos and the threes. And that's why he was, you know, 15 and 15 and all that stuff. And we just, fooled ourselves and realized that Baker Mayfield just a far better quarterback and player than anything but you know knee-jerk reactions Oklahoma fans don't do that they don't do that at all nah, yeah they do not a thing but 
Oh, man, you guys have anything else? It's been nice to it's been nice to get the crew back together. I haven't seen Jack's oh, face yeah. in like months, literally months. <laughs> I've been busy, man. He has been a very busy man, but well, I think that will about do it for us. Hey, guys, go ahead and follow us on CrimsonCreamMachine.com. The stuff dropping every day. Awesome things. They're in the works. I can see in the drafts. You can follow us on Twitter, at CCMachine. You can follow Jack on his regular handle, at JLarryShields. You can follow Steven, at OUUpdatedSB. You can find me, at KMarabi and CCM. We're on a ton of podcast platforms. Apparently, we just got back on to Google Podcasts. I guess they took us off because we were too awesome or just too lame. Who knows? Uh, but we're back on that, too. So, anyways, give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. And if you're just hearing us for the first time, hit the subscribe button. But, anyways, until next time, we'll check you guys later.